So what rattles you? What, what, what rattles you? What, what throws you off? What, what gets you off kilter? What flusters you? What, what bewilders you? Could be a lot of different things. Maybe it's the waiting room at the doctor. Is that a, a place that frustrates you? Gets, you? gets you a little rattled? Maybe it's looking at political updates on social media. Maybe it's the season finale of your favorite TV show. Maybe it's when you're sitting in the drive-thru and you look up and the hot donut sign cuts off. You know, maybe, maybe that's a fluster. Maybe it's the burrito line at Chippo Tools. Yeah, that's what I call Chipotle. It's there. Give it a second. You'll look. It's there. It's there. Feel free to use that. It's, it's yours. All of us have something in life that, that flusters us, that rattles us. What about storms? Do you get rattled with storms? Are you the kind of person that, that you look at your weather app more than you look at your kids? Come on, you know who you are. I mean, I got a couple in my house, you know, we're just, just obsessed with the storms and the weather and, and what's happening. I tell you somebody who really gets rattled at storms, and that's dogs. Yeah. About a year ago, uh, this Dutch shepherd named Max started hanging out at my house for some reason. And uh, Max is a great dog, but Max does not like loud noises. He does not like loud storms, and he does not like fireworks. Come to find out, though, that is actually a veterinary type of thing. One doctor of veterinary medicine described it this way. It's noise phobia, and this was the definition. It is an irrational, intense fear of a noise or sound that poses no real threat. Noise phobia. You know what? That's not just for dogs, is it? My guess is this past week, all of us have experienced some noise phobia. Something happened in our life by what we were hearing, by what we were seeing, by what we were thinking that created some kind of intense, irrational fear or frustration or folly in our life. All of us experience noise phobia. And it's not sin to be rattled with noise phobia. It's not, it's not sin to be rattled in life. Bad things are going to happen. We're going to get frustrated. None of us are perfect. But how do we make sure that being rattled doesn't define who we are? How do we make sure that, that being rattled doesn't overwhelm us constantly? Maybe put another way, what can we do when we're rattled to get unrattled? How can we stay calm in life? Because there's something or someone in your life right now that has the ability to make you feel afraid in the dark, to make you feel angry in the dark, or to make you feel apathetic in the dark. So how can we stay calm in the dark? Well, we're going to ask one of the disciples of Jesus, Simon Peter, to help us out. Peter was writing to some Christians who were rattled. They were rattled with all types of suffering and persecution, their friends and their family were mocking them for devoting their lives to Jesus. In essence, they were feeling unloved and forgotten and alone. Anybody ever felt that way? Maybe, maybe even this past week, unloved, forgotten, and alone? Well, Peter wanted to encourage them. And how does he encourage them? Well, he's going to encourage them by telling them who they are. That's how he's going to encourage them, by helping them find their identity and what does he say first peter chapter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen race 
Now, race here and chosen race is, is not the, the same way that we hear the word race in modern times. The word here for chosen race means a, a peculiar people, a, a purchased people. Christians are peculiar because they've been purchased. Jesus purchased us with his own blood. And because of that, we are made right with God. And according to the scriptures and according to the children's song, every person of every race, creed, color, economic background, all those Christians are precious in the sight of God. But also in Scripture, it's not just precious. From beginning to end, the Bible says that the people of God are chosen in his sight. So what does that mean? I mean, how do you do the math between God quickening a person's spirit to pray to be saved and that person praying to be saved? How do you, how do, you do the math between election and repentance? Two words in the Bible. How do you do the math between what the Bible says about whosoever will come and then all of these different passages about predestination and election and being chosen? How do you do the math? Well, I do not have the divine scientific calculator to try to explain it in human terms that makes it clear to all of us. In other words, there are some things in the Bible that only the Holy Spirit can ultimately explain to you. But make no mistake, predestination, election, being chosen, these are things that God specifically put in his book. They are in the Bible. So what do we do with those things? What do we do with those truths? Well, why don't we just keep it in context here? Are Christians chosen? Yes, because the Bible says so. Do we understand it completely? No, we don't, even though the Bible says so. And even more than that, how is that possible? I mean, are Christians somehow better people? Do they have more value before they're saved? No, not at all. And, and we can't earn our salvation, right? I mean, you can't give enough money to the church to be saved. You, you can't attend the church enough to be saved. You can't memorize enough Bible verses to be saved. You can't be hard, hard worker enough at your job to be saved. You can't be good enough to your family to be saved. You can't be nice enough to strangers to be saved. We cannot create our own salvation. But if the Bible tells us that we are part of a chosen race, then we believe it and we go beyond just believing it. We look at it and we say, okay, this is something I need to stand in awe of. Don't understand it completely, but I'm going to stand in awe of it because it's here in God's word. And I'm going to tremble with joy at it, and I'm going to bow and accept it. But more than all of that, I'm going to make sure that I long to be faithful to my calling, long to be faithful to what God has done in my life. For whatever we may not understand, we can clearly understand that Peter wanted to encourage suffering Christians, and the way he did it was this. Hey, if you're feeling like life is in the dark, if you're frustrated from the pain and suffering and stress and anxiety of life, if this is who you are, then please understand the way I can encourage you the most is by reminding you that you are part of a chosen race, a peculiar people, a purchased people. What he's doing is this. He's trying to help these Christians see you are not alone. You're not alone. There are Christians from every race and every creed and every color and every economic background in different parts of the world, and they're experiencing the exact same things that you're experiencing. And beyond that, just know this, that whatever they're experiencing and whatever you're experiencing, those same people and you, you're going to be in heaven together one day. And when you're in heaven, the things that are rattling you today will not rattle you then. 
The things that are overwhelming you today will not overwhelm you then because in heaven there is no more test. There's no taxes. There's no hospital. There's no cancer. There's no orphans. There's no pain. There's no night. There's no death. There's no enemy. This is the guaranteed promise we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That this life, no matter how rattled we are, is not the end of our story. So, dear Christian, when you're in the dark, when you're rattled, when you're feeling frustrated and you feel like everything in your life is falling apart, there is no greater help you can give your heart and your mind and your soul than to remember that you are part of a chosen race. You are part of a peculiar people. You are part of a purchased people, purchased by the birth and life and death and blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So because all of that's true, do everything you can to stay calm and carry on. That, that was the, the poster back in 1939 that, that the British government put out, right? In the uncertainty of World War II, they were trying to boost up and encourage morale among the country, so they put those posters up all over the place. Keep calm and carry on. As believers, when we consider who we are, when we look at our identity, when we're in the dark, we stay calm and we carry on. Who else are we in Christ? Look at verse 9. You are a royal priesthood. If you are a Christian, you have direct access to God. There is no pope or priest or pastor or minister or clergy or curtain between you and God. Jesus died, suffered and died, rose again to bring you to God, to give you access to God. That means that although I might be the lead minister at this church, as Christians, we are all Ministers, We are all called to minister. So don't waste your ministry. Don't waste it. When you're in the dark, when you're rattled, when you feel like everything in your world is crashing down around you, one of the best things, one of the best medicines you could possibly bring into your life is as quickly as possible, who can you call? Who can you text? Who can you email? Who can you write a note to? Who can you visit? Who can you bake a casserole for? Which pastor can you bake a cake for? You know, whatever it may be. The quicker we can learn to move and minister, the more it will help us when we feel like we're in the dark. So, because of this truth, because you are a royal priesthood, stay calm and carry on. Who else are we in Christ? Verse 9, we are a holy nation. If you're a Christian, you're not just a Christian. If you're in this country, you're a Christian American. You're not just an American or you're not just an Egyptian or a Zambian or Albanian or an Australian or wherever it is you're from. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian first and then you add your citizenship next. We are Christian Americans. And that matters. That means because Jesus is living in our heart, our character has changed. Somebody said, if we're not acting like Christ, then we're acting out of character. <laughs> How many times have we acted out of character this week, right? But that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to have the character of Jesus. When you're in the dark, when you're rattled, when it feels like everything in your life is crashing down around you, there is no greater confidence you can have than to know that you are part of the only nation that will never fail. The kingdom of God is the only nation that will last forever. Dear Christian, you are part of a holy 
nation. So stay calm and carry on. Who else are we in Christ? Verse 9, we're a people for God's own possession. You're not alone. You are not unloved, and you are not forgotten. You may feel that way today, but it's not possible. In and through the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has done something. He has purposed to be with you forever. I mean, just, just marinate on that just for a moment. God has purposed to be with you forever. It's his plan. It's his desire. It's his design for you in Christ. In 1876, George Robinson wrote a, a hymn, and the, the words are, are just fantastic. Here's just a portion. I am loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know. Gracious spirit from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this transport all divine in a love which cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. Anybody need to be transported this week to the love of God? <laughs> I've needed a few beam me ups this week, right? We, we, we need to be transported into the divine love of God. Mentally and physically and spiritually, we have these moments we need to feel loved by God. But know this, the love of God cannot cease. It can't cease. It's impossible for it to cease. You see, you belong to God, Christian. You belong to God. So, when you're in the dark, when you're rattled, when it feels like everything around you is crashing down, one of the greatest things you can ever do, one of the best ways you can build your confidence up is to know that in that moment you are loved by God and you belong to God. You're, you're his. I'm his and he is mine. Because you are a people for God's own possession, do everything you can to stay calm and carry on. Now, is there any purpose to all this? It's a good little resume of things, good little identity of who we are. Is there any purpose to our identity in Christ? Any, any purpose to why we have these things? Yes. Look, at continuing in verse 9. We have these things so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Yes, we need to serve other people. Yes, we need to set a godly example to other people. And yes, we need to be good citizens in our community. But we cannot just be Christians. We have to proclaim the gospel. We have to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has saved us. You have not been saved to make much of yourself. You have been saved to make much of God. That is his design. Our testimony of our salvation in Jesus Christ is not so much about us coming to Jesus, but about Jesus coming to us, about him coming to us, about him saving us. The math of it is this, we are saved we are being saved, and one day we will be gloriously saved. How? Because we're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're, we're a holy 
nation. We are a people of God's own possession. And what should you do with that? You should stand in awe of it. You should tremble with joy because of it. You should bow down and accept it. You should, with all that you have, live to be faithful to it. And you should proclaim it. You should proclaim it. Lig Duncan said this, saying preach the gospel daily, use words if necessary, is like saying feed the hungry, use food if necessary. It's true. You know, I've heard that my whole life. You know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Words are necessary. It cannot just be actions. We have this truth about God that has to be presented. We use the words. We proclaim the excellencies of God. And why do we do that? Well, here's why. I want you to think of that person that you work with right now that you know is not a Christian. Or maybe that person in your family that you know is not a Christian. Or that person in your neighborhood, the person that you see at the gym, or or whatever it is. Think of the person that you know in life, at least one, that you know is not a Christian. Here's what they're doing in life. They're looking for the meaning of life. Everybody is. Everybody's looking for, for meaning and purpose in life in some way, shape, or form. So if someone's looking for the meaning of life, that's why it matters that we proclaim the excellencies of God. And here's why. Because all of us are looking for someone or something to, to hug our hearts, to, to make us feel like everything's okay. And, and we need to understand, ultimately, that person is not going to be your spouse. It's not going to be your parents. It's not going to be your kids. It's not going to be your pastor. It's not going to be your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's not going to be your fiancé or your fiancé. Isn't it the same for the bride and groom? It's the same word, right? Yeah. It's not going to be your house. It's not going to be your job. It's not going to be your car. It's not going to be your hobby. It's not going to be your favorite sports team. Why? Because none of those people, places, or things are perfect. None of them. But God is perfect. God is holy, holy, holy. That means he is other, other, other. He is perfect, and he is worthy of all of the excellency that we could give him. He's worthy of everything we would ever proclaim about him. Wayne Grudem said this, the answer to our search for the ultimate meaning lies in declaring the excellencies of God, for he alone is infinitely worthy of glory. Infinitely worthy means that there is no one else that has the the character and the fame and the glory that God has. Okay? Most of us maybe have done, you know, one thing famous in your life. I don't know. You know, you got in the local paper for something or, you know, you got in the newsletter at work for something or, I don't know, maybe you've been on TV. Maybe you've, I don't know, maybe you've been on American Idol and we just don't know it or something. You know, all of us have something, you know, that we've been famous for, something that, that we might have gotten a little glory for. But our glory, the, the best fame and honor and glory that we could have in this life it's temporary. It might last a day. It might last a week. It might last a few months. It might last a lifetime. But the glory of God, the fame of God, the honor of God, it has value forever and ever and ever. It never stops. So if you're looking for the meaning of life, you will find the meaning in life in one place only, and that is in the excellencies of God. There's nowhere else to look. You can chase after every single thing you want to, but ultimately the excellencies of God are the one place that you will find the ultimate meaning of life. 
That's why we proclaim his excellencies. We want people to find the meaning of life. So when you're in the dark, when you're rattled, when you feel like everything in life seems to be crashing down around you, there is no greater thing that you can do for your heart and your mind and your soul than to proclaim the excellencies of God, to make much of God. And you can do that with your spouse. You can do that with your kids. You don't have to go stand out on a street corner with a Bible and, and you know, preach out loud to people. You can do that if you want. That's fine. I'll, I'll come join you if, if you need some help. That's fine. We'll do it. But you can proclaim the excellencies of God anywhere you are at any time. And you don't have to preach a sermon when you're proclaiming the excellencies of God. You know how you can proclaim the excellencies of God? I mean, y'all know this is going to be my illustration that's not in my notes. You know how you can pro proclaim the excellencies of God? When someone makes you an orange velvet cake and you take a bite of it and it's fantastic, man, you can just say, praise the Lord for cake, you know? I mean, I know that sounds silly, but how about we just learn to be people that proclaim the excellencies of God in everything that we do? How many of us know that one person that no matter where they are, they always seem to say, well, praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Well, hey, I hope you have a good day. There's something intoxicating about someone who lives in the excellencies of God. And there is something extremely depressing about professing Christians who never live in the excellencies of God. Let's don't be those. Let's be people that proclaim. Stay calm, carry on, and keep proclaiming the excellencies of God. And what's the most excellent thing God has done for a Christian? Well, Peter tells us, verse 9, he who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we get afraid in the dark, when we get angry in the dark, when we get apathetic in the dark, what we're doing in that moment is we are temporarily forgetting that we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We're just forgetting that we are in the marvelous light. Josh Holler served with 1st Battalion, 7th Marine Regiment. He was deployed to Iraq uh, two times between 2007 and 2009. A few years ago, he wrote an article about the painful reality of veterans taking their own lives. And part of the reason that he wrote the article is that was some of his personal experience. Nine of the Marines that he personally worked with and served with took their own lives one of the things he does in the articles he writes about the importance of finding your identity in Christ finding your greatest hope in knowing that you've been transferred out of darkness and into the glorious marvelous light of Jesus this is what he said we are all born into war with God because we are all born into and love the sin which God hates. It's good language, right? We're, we're born into war against God because we're born loving and longing and wanting sin. But Jesus suffered and died to make sure that's not the end of our war story. 
He died to, to change the narrative. Jesus died to change who we are. It's, it's what he did. He died to make us a chosen race. He died to make us a royal priesthood. He died to make us a, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is what Jesus did. And when a person turns from sin and repents and gives their life to Jesus, something happens. There's an exchange. Something changes. That person is made right with God because of salvation in Jesus. That means that person has been reconciled to God. And when that happens, something happens with the war we have with sin. Josh puts it this way. To be reconciled to God means that this war is ended. There's no greater joy for a Christian's heart tend to know that because of Jesus, the war with sin is over. doesn't mean we won't keep fighting. There'll be a lot of battles between now and the time we see Jesus, but the war has been won. Jesus has done it. Here's what happens. Sometimes when we're rattled in life, the reason we get so rattled is we forget the war has already been won. We forget what Jesus has done for us. We are convinced that sitting in that waiting room at the doctor or scrolling through social media, reading the latest political updates or sitting on the side of the road because your water pump goes out, we're convinced that for some reason Jesus did not win the war for us in that moment. That's part of the reason we get so rattled. We just take our eyes off of God. Josh goes on. In Christ, we were given a new identity. And by identifying our deepest purpose, our deepest hungers in Christ, we can finally be satisfied. And he says this, there is a real pride in being a Marine, but it isn't lasting. However, there is an identity that is more real bestowed by the Father himself to all who are found in Christ. And what is that identity? He puts it this way. That identity is the only identity that lasts, never fading, never losing its meaning, never waning, wearing out, or getting old. This is what it means to be in Christ. I'll give a gracious shout out to my buddy Grace who is watching with us now. Um, I can't tell her age because she'd kill me, uh, but let's just say Grace is a few years older than me. And, and what I love is just recently, actually, happy birthday. Happy birthday. I'm so busy, I forgot. Happy birthday, Grace. Grace told me recently, she said, you know how I stay young? I was like, how? She said, I have a lot of young friends. <laughs> And I just got tickled, and I started thinking, she's right. She has amazing relationships with her grandchildren, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm still relatively young, and, you know, she's friends with me. And, you know, and I thought, wow, how, how amazing it is that part of her hope and her joy is staying engaged in relationships with people who are younger than her, not just her own age. And the reason I bring that up is because our identity in Christ never gets old. I've been a Christian for 30-something years now. It, it's still as new today as it was yesterday. I woke up this morning and got saved all over again, so to speak, just because I'm alive. Our identity in Christ never wears out. It never grows old. Josh goes on. Despite the legitimate, real, and difficult seasons that await veterans or anyone grasping for a lost identity, 
we can rest assured an identity in Christ means that he will never leave us and never forsake us. And then he says this, our hope does not rest in being once a Marine, but in the Christ who always is and always will be. When you're in the dark, when you're rattled, when it feels like everything in life is falling apart around you, the best way to stay calm, the best way to stay focused is to remember who you are and to remember that your Savior always is and always will be. Nothing can change that.